What is up, ACL Nation? It's Michelle Thompson here with Trey Ryder and Anthony Ione coming to you straight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in our hotel room. So we are, uh, well, we're winging it, Entree. <laughs> winging it, like I said, winging it is, we're winging it, winging it, whatever, I mean, whatever weird adjective you want to use. So we're, we're trying to catch up to Mike as far as different locations. Uh, That's right. Uh, yeah. to, to, to chime in from uh, around the ACL. So it's, we're on site, like we're, we're reporters now. We're journalists right on site, right here. So that's, uh, we just had to call right from Myrtle. We did, and like, can't complain. I got the beach behind me. I mean, not too shabby. Maybe if we listen really close, we can hear the waves. You just can hear crack. the waves. So oh, yeah. sure can. <laughs> oh man, what a full weekend that we had. We had the National College Cornhole Championship with the high school and with the USA Cornhole. I mean, it was packed. Uh, just to kind of go over some of the details of the college portion of the event, for college singles, we had Kobe Costanza take first, Ben Brown take second, and Chandler Davenport take third. For doubles, we had Nick Moore and Taylor Cathy. Second place, Landon Crabtree and Peyton Gentry. And third place, Ben Brown and Luke Slusher. And then for the team event, Texas A&M took it all. Then we had Georgia Southern and Oklahoma State. Trey, tell me, big picture thoughts. What would you think of the weekend? Yeah, so for me, I think the big picture thought has to be that it was – we didn't really have any repeat winners. I mean, some players like – some players like a Ben Brown kind of made it towards the end there. Kobe Costanza wins, but doesn't even make the broadcast. The team event, maybe we had Logan, Logan Chamberlain have really good singles and somewhat kind of a good doubles. And then he kind of felt like the leader of that Texas A&M team. But for the most part, this was, it was exactly kind of what we thought. It was a level playing field. It was, it was anybody's game, which I, I just loved so much. I kind of loved that parody of it i just thought it was something that was so unique that we really hadn't had before um previous years people like austin slowbomb were just felt like it was is austin gonna sweep everything or is he gonna just win one of them right i mean you knew he was gonna get something but it just felt like a completely different year this year um and that was really cool and, and exciting to see um we'll talk a little bit more about the the team event in a second but uh, I thought that was cool to kind of get a taste for teams, right? We've been talking so much about teams recently with the pro teams draft. Um, but I, I just loved the, the college atmosphere. And I loved, I also love when, when you have the families come in town, right? It's like, it just feels different than a national, right? All the national, the pro players are playing as individuals, right? It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to win it as an individual, but these teams, it's like, you know, Texas A&M brought like mom, dad, aunt, uncle, great uncle, great aunt, like all the all these different people coming in town just to cheer him on. So I thought it was it was really cool to see to see that aspect of it. I love that part as well. Anthony, what are some of your thoughts about the college portion of the weekend? Yeah, just overall, I was really impressed with the talent. I mean, when you've seen so many players toss a bag within the first four or five bags, you could tell, hey, this is a developed player or this is a developing player. And I was just really impressed with the overall skill level of the field. I mean, you could walk around and see, hey, this guy's making advanced level decisions in his game. This guy's throwing an advanced level, throwing hand side tilt. This guy I saw a lot of roll bags out of the uh, out of the college, uh, you know, field. So I don't know. I was just really impressed with the overall talent uh, compared to previous years. You could tell that people are working on their games. It's happening. 
Yeah, I noticed that it's definitely, you didn't see much of a slide game, I would say, overall. Not much of a slide yeah. game for these young ones. All right, let's talk about college singles. Uh, Trey, some thoughts about our college singles event with Kobe Costanza taking the win. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted this, but I, I loved watching Kobe Costanza all weekend because I saw everything, right? I saw him be dominant. I saw him at some times make it look like there was nobody in the room that came even close to how good he was. Then there were other times in a close game, I saw him be clutch, right? I saw him do something with his back against the wall. It was a tie game late in a round, and he had to throw a four-bagger if he was going to end up winning winning that event, and that's exactly what he did. He was clutch. And then he was fun to watch, right? I mean, the rollbacks, right? The rollbacks, the airmails, the big shots. He didn't throw very many airmails, but some of them, they were just timely when he needed to have a drag or something like that, right? So for me, watching Kobe play was so much fun. And, and, and Anthony, I don't know if – I know you were really encapsulated with U.S. Open, but for me, when I try to look – now when I watch college, I'm almost, I'm almost watching it from a different angle of who's going to be a pro, right? Because yeah. just like college, right? You have, you have Tim Tebow, who's one of the greatest college players of all time, but he didn't necessarily translate into a great pro football player, right? There are some people that are great collegiate players. Now my mindset is that's going to be true for a lot of people. There's going to be some of these collegiate players that do enough to get by, win a national championship, but I don't know if they're quite pro caliber talent. Kobe Costanza is one of those pro caliber talents in my eyes. You feel the same, Anthony? I do agree. And I was able to talk to him after the event. And the big thing for me was when you talk about pro caliber and elite caliber, a lot of it has to do, how are you going to perform on that broadcast? How are you going to handle that pressure? So that was what I focused my discussion on with him. And he said, hey, I was comfortable. It actually didn't even bother me. And you're talking about a player that's comfortable on a broadcast and winning opens and throwing against the best players in the game already. He's going to be nasty when he comes into the league. I'm excited to see that. I would agree. All right, let's go in the doubles. We had Nick Moore and Taylor Cathy get first there. What are your thoughts, Trey? Yeah, this one, um, I love this. Love, love, love this because and I don't want to set this up for you guys because I know you guys weren't huge college fans last year just because, you know, you, you weren't falling as deep. But I watched – so when we came in this weekend, what did you hear from everybody? Oh, you better watch out for this guy. Oh, you better watch out for this guy. Like, this guy's going to be super good, right? I would equate Nick Moore to almost kind of like what we heard about Ben Brown, right? Agreed. Was, was everybody across the country saying that Nick Moore was going to be a talent, a huge dominant person last year? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. But that region, Tennessee and Kentucky said, Robbie Giffen and, and uh, Nick Moore are going to be really, really good. And when we saw them on the main stage, we're like, okay, here's their chance. They made a broadcast. And when I tell you they threw probably the worst performance out of anybody on the entire weekend on the main stage, I would stick with that. They were awful, absolutely awful. And I remember, <clears throat> fast forward to this year, when Nick Moore gets the win, okay, as soon as he won, he made this noise, and he went like this, because he said he had been wearing this badge of 
dishonor on his chest for a year that he was a choke artist. And he had literally labeled himself a choke artist for an entire year because he felt he had played so well leading up to that point that he was such a good player. And then when it mattered most, he could not deliver. And what makes it so special about what I saw from the University of Tennessee this year was that that was the complete opposite of what I saw, right? Imagine being Nick Moore in the semifinals and you had labeled yourself a choke artist. When we use the word choke artist, we mean in the biggest stage, on the biggest lights, you can't deliver. And it requires the last bag thrown of the game. On the board or off the board, you lose. In the hole, you win because it's a three versus one point differential. The total point differential between the teams is two. So it's in for the win. And he's got only half a hole to slide around. And what does he do? Perfectly hits the slide of the, the side of the hole. The bag holds, the bag holds, the bag holds, and then it falls. And to see that amazing growth from someone like a Nick Moore to, to get there to the finals and ultimately get a win, it just – it just felt so cool. And I, and I appreciated being a part of that moment more than anything. And I think that's, that's what's so great about our sport is that it, because it is such a level playing field, because there is so much parity, it's really going to come down to who can deliver and who cannot. And that should be, that should be a message for everybody that is getting into the game and you don't know, and you don't know how to battle the nerves. The message should be, you'll find it. You'll figure it out. Sometimes it just takes time and experience. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have to find that experience of what it feels like to be on a broadcast court. So if you choke the very first time, it's not super shocking. But then now with that experience, right. being able to come back and do it, I mean, that's amazing. Anthony, any uh, follow-up thoughts? Yeah, that's that's a tough situation. So I had that same situation in the uh, state championships for singles in Colorado. I just had to go on to win it. And that's a lot of pressure. So that's a pretty yeah. crazy story. But overall, I was doing the U.S. Uh, the USA Cornhole event at the same time. So I didn't get to see much of the doubles event. But what I did get is you could really feel the vibe of what was going on over there. You kind of have this camaraderie growing on, you know, and maybe we'll see it in this team's format within the ACL. You know, maybe you just get fans, you know, based on, you know, eventually maybe regions or wherever people are located. But you could definitely feel the that camaraderie going on and the cheering from the crowd it just, it just felt different in that in that type of environment so that, that that's that was a takeaway for me it did it did and then moving into my favorite portion of the of the championship is the teams event i thought this was so fun uh texas a&m did take it all what are your thoughts trey yeah and they did it in a double dip fashion right they had to win twice in that finals um you know michelle you were on the mic so you you, you probably have some thoughts here but you know, for me, I thought it was just so cool to get a taste of teams, right? And, I th and we did that on purpose. That was that was intentional to have this event kind of introduce teams because it gave us an opportunity to test things out, see how things worked, see how, you know, teams played together, get a vibe for everything. And I thought it was so cool, so special. I mean, to see Texas A&M, the way that they just absolutely – I thought they played as a team, right? Yes. I mean – and they mixed around things, you know, and, and, they, and they tried different strategies. I thought it would in the finals. It was cool to see Georgia Southern lose the first game and then mix around their team to try to see if they could get an advantage in a different in a different mm -hmm. way. So um, I think ultimately Texas A&M came in as the favorite, which was cool. And I felt I felt like Logan Chamberlain was kind of the leader of that group. 
it was really cool to see him play because he played Chandler Davenport in the finals of that, that team event. He played singles, and Chandler Davenport had already beaten him that 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 weekend. He beat him in the third place match, and and he beat him pretty good. Logan Davenport, uh, Chandler Davenport, I'm sorry, was was one of the better players on the entire weekend, and I thought he really delivered. And so for Logan to have his best game of the weekend. And to beat Chandler Davenport really, really handily, I thought was a testament to how much that team event can really use momentum, motivation, and adrenaline to kind of will people to win certain events. And I think that's something, just a little bit of a tease of what we'll see this year with pro teams. I agree. And I actually spoke to Caleb from Georgia Southern. He was the one that played singles and didn't do so well. And then they switched him to doubles. And he told me that he told his team, I am not good at singles. I've never played singles. I only play doubles. So up to that point, he had never played. And he said that when we went to that blind or the BYOP just a few nights before this event, it was just, that was the biggest event he ever played with. He's only been playing for five months. Um, so really impressive to see. Yeah, to see what he did. And, and that team, Georgia Southern, he had never even met those people until this weekend. So it's cool. Yeah, it's cool what this team's event can do. And I said, well, look, you made a whole bunch of new friends now, which is pretty cool. Um, and he was stoked about the whole experience. So I love that about Cornhole. Um, any thoughts, Anthony, before we move on to Mike's corner? I didn't get to see the team event, but I did get to see the result. It was actually really cool. Everything's packing up. The place is empty. And now I'm getting into the car to actually leave. And I see Team Texas A&M coming out of the building, a line of trophies, the whole team coming out, and they had a moment kind of off to the side. Nobody saw it but me, and they just had this, like, kind of just little huddle celebration, you know, high fives and hugs. So, I mean, that's what it's all about right there. So that was kind of something I took away leaving the event. I won't forget that one. That was really cool. Yeah, and then the other – yeah, I had um, Nate Acevedo, you know, we posted the results, and he's like – we made the Facebook page. We're on the face. Like he was, he was going crazy with his phone. So I mean, it, that was, that was a cool thing to, to experience as well. I love that. All right. We're going to go ahead and bring Mike Morton on for Morton's corner and see what he has to offer us today. Hey Mike. Hey guys. So uh happy new year, everyone. Happy we're, new year. Uh, we're getting 2022 off to a great start here. So uh, I'm going to dive straight into some numbers. All right. Like I, like I always do. We're going to talk uh seeding in uh, pro national tournaments and how your seed compares to how you finish overall. So um, Trey, Anthony, Michelle, any of you have any, any thoughts before we get into the numbers on what you would expect those, those numbers to be just, so just any maybe observation. Just kind of understand. Cause we did talk about, we talked before about like the right side of the bracket was a better place to be than the left side of the bracket. Did that, how is that different from what we're going to talk I'm talking about? about here is if you are seated 15th going okay. into the, uh, into the tournament in your bracket, where are you going to finish? Okay. I would say my initial thought would be that if the seating is true, then a number one seed is generally going to finish top five. I would say it's it, it's given what we have here, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation in the middle, right? Um, but I think one through 15 and 240 through 255 are going to be right pretty darn close. Um, I think where you're going to have a lot of mixes in that 
maybe 110 through 160 range. You're going to have a lot of people that may fluctuate just because they are middle of the road. So normally if you're middle of the road, the reason is, is because you had a high finish one time and then you had a low finish another time. And so my, my, that, that would be my, what my gut said. Yeah. You're not too far off. So, so what I did was, uh, and I think you've got a slide that I prepared there, Trey, yeah. but, uh, the very first tournament uh, pro national of the year last year, the kickoff, if you remember, we did random seating. So, um, statistically this number really means nothing other than it's just a randomized statistic to show you what happens if the seeding does not mean anything so that number right there 19.64 tells you that if you were seated number 10 or or number let well let's give you a higher number you were seated number 30 um on average you finished 19 positions away from your seed so that means you could have finished all the way up at number 11 or you could have finished all the way down at number 49 on average so that's a pretty large discrepancy, a pretty large range. So you finished 19 positions away from what your seed was. Okay. So, so then we go to the first plus or minus Mike. Yes. Okay. Right. right. So that's your entire range. If you were seated number 20 on average, you were going to finish 19 positions somewhere within 19 positions up or 19 positions below of, of your position. So that's a large range. If you think about it, that's, um, 38, actually, it's like 19.64. So it's 39 positions um, would be your range. And there's only 64 positions in the bracket. So again, that's completely randomized. You would expect it to be wide open and crazy like that. So, but then we move on to the next tournament at Cornhole Mania. That tournament is seeded based on the finish um, at, at the kickoff. And you see how that number dips dramatically. Now we're down to about 12. So that range is about 12. So if you were seated, say, 15th, you could finish as high as third, or you could dip as low as 27th in your bracket. Still a pretty large range, but you can see we're starting to narrow down on an, on an average range. Um, so then we take those two tournaments, we reseed the, for the third tournament, the bag brawl, and we're down to about a 10 um, seed difference. Um, again, on down to nine. And then by the time we get to the world championship, at the world championships, the difference between your seed and your finish was only 7.78. So to me, what that shows is how the throughout the course of the year, we actually start to find some levity. You, you actually the, the overall point standings are starting to shake out and put you where you belong in the seeds. Still a pretty large gap there. That, that range is pretty large. But I think it shows that the, that the seeding process actually works throughout the season. One thing I want to make uh, what I think would be interesting here is because I think the actual number is is even lower. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, and, and unless you've taken this out in your consideration of your calculations, even at the world championships, you have people that didn't make all of the nationals but are top-level players or yes. someone that at the third event, they only they, they missed one of the first two. So naturally, they're going to be a bottom seed regardless of what their skill is. So that throws them way down. So that means someone that's a 58 seed finishes 10th. And that's a huge number that can kind of skew your data and almost act as an outlier. So you are right. I, would, and yeah. I left those in there because it still actually yeah. shows the downward trend. So even with those things thrown in there, we still see us fine-tuning that number 
Yeah, and I think I, I and and I don't think you necessarily want to take him out. I think that's more of a thing is, and you can see it. So I, I'm I'm getting nerdy here as a as an engineering <laughs> guy, right? From what I see, what I see on this graph, I see, you know, an asymptotic approach to to a certain number, and I don't know if that number is six or five right. or it's it. This is behaving exactly like you would expect, you know, uh, an asymptotic asymptote so it's 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 approaching and, and it's it's going to flatten out and it's never going to get lower than a six or it's never going to get Correct. lower than a seven um but i think that's an absolute number um my gut says it's probably right around seven so it should be that you should work on your seed because in reality you're going to probably finish plus or minus seven of where your seed is so if you yes. if you want to be a top 20 player you can't expect on average to be ranked and, and seated in the 30s. I so mean, you, so you, you building on that line right there, you see at, at the World Championships, it was 7.78. If you kind of project, if we were going to have had another tournament after that one, the number would have dipped down to about seven. So if you really wanted to look at it this way, your final standings for the pros last year, um, you know, you, you would have been somewhere around a, a seven points different range for your seed and then you can go ahead and take that and convert that to your overall standings if you really wanted to be a nerd about it and and see where you where you fell and what i mean by that is if you were a a number 10 seed then you would assume if the difference was the range was seven up or seven down you would finish somewhere between third and 17th in your bracket now if you compare that to the overall standings then a 10 seed is your 37th through 40th ranked players so 37 through 40th range. And if you finished in third, your best finish would be ninth. If you finished in 17th, your worst finish could possibly be 68th. So what that tells you is if you're ranked somewhere between 37 and 40, then your true range when it comes to the overall standings is probably somewhere between ninth and 68th. That, that gives you sort of a sliding scale up and down the standings depending on what your seed is. So I would say you're going to have exceptions to that, but that's a pretty good rule of thumb. And I know that's a large range there between nine and 68. But when you look at a player that's ranked, say, 116th, they'll be quick to tell you, well, I could very easily be 60th. Or you could yeah. be 170th. But what you're not going to get is the 116th ranked player saying, I should be fourth. Well, and I think it also that that statistic also gives us something to when we think about what a player's ultimate ceiling is, right? I mean, in general, we can we can expect this person, you know, and and, and I'll keep that in mind as we move forward. Now, it's like if we're at the third of the end of the year, and I know someone's, you know, their seed is X, you know, I, I probably have an ultimate ceiling or an ultimate floor for them, with some level of exception. Um, so. Yeah, very interested to see how that how that translates uh, moving forward. So a, a little conversion here after the world championships, if you looked back at the seeds going in and then the final finish, um, seventh place, se the, that seven range, seven up or seven down, 59% of the players finished within that range of seven, which is a little lower than I thought, but you have to remember that range of seven is only an average. So there's going to be some right. that are a lot larger. Again, you explained away at least a portion of that. 
um, someone coming in ranked 48th and finishing 16th because they missed the national earlier in the year. But 59% of the players finished within seven of their seed. Tightening that window down to three. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask all three of you to guess. How, what percentage of players finished within three a range of three, three up or three down of what they're I don't think it's going to be much. I mean, we're getting into like some Six Sigma stuff and standard deviation is getting, I mean, you get down to three, that's not going to be a lot of people. I think the percentage is pretty low. I'll play devil's advocate. I'll say it's like 40%. All right. Michelle, 10. what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say more like five. 34.22. Wow. Ah, take that, Anthony and Michelle. <laughs> Trey is always right. Trey is always yeah. right. So, so about a third of the play. Again, by the time we get to the world championship, those seedings are, are you know, there, there's exceptions, but they're starting to pan out. Um, you know, a, a third of the players finish within three spots of their seed. So I thought that I thought that One was other piece we can take away from that table is uh, slopes. Um, so we see from the first event to the second event, a pretty, pretty drastic drop. And then it's pretty linear from two to four. That tells yes. me there was some big drop off or something big happening from one to two. And the only thing that comes to mind is, um, we, end, we, we came in with the new boards, right? I think everybody was trying to get familiar with the new board speeds. No. Actually, Anthony, it's real. It's real easy. The first tournament wasn't seated based on points or anything. It was random. Uh, good call. Good call. Yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking so what that, variables that first drop there. was completely expected. It really is statistical white noise. I just put it in there to show you here's what a complete randomized result would look like as opposed to what results look like when they're actually seated. All right. So then if we get past that event, I mean, you're seeing a real linear trend. I mean, it's going down at a pretty constant rate. And like Trey said, eventually you're going to hit, you know, you're going to normalize somewhere. I think it, I think it stops at around seven drop. or six. Okay, so we're almost there. We're almost normalized. Right on. Awesome. Well, super interesting. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Mike. All right. Uh, just one more thing I want to throw out there real quick for you guys. Um, Trey already knows all about this, but I'm kind of excited about it. I want to share some news. Um, M Squared is now uh, on board to broadcast from uh, all the pro nationals and the world championships. Um, we've partnered up with All Cornhole, and we're going to have one of the broadcast courts there. And I'm happy to uh, happy to announce that Miss Allison Baldwin, former ACL Pro, is going to be my broadcast partner. So Allison and myself will be broadcasting from all four of the Pro Nationals coming up, as well as the World Championships. Really awesome. excited about doing it. Cool. Very, very cool. Well, thanks, Mike. We will say goodbye to you now and, and move on to our next segment. But we appreciate you coming on. All right. Cheers, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New, New Year, Mike. All right, rolling into the U.S. Open recap in the team event, Contraband Cornhole took first and Fire Cornhole took second. In men's single, it was Matt Guy and then Ryan Windsor in second. In women's singles, Annette Tedder took first, Megan Moffin second. Mixed doubles, Kaylee Hunter and Jamie Graham got first and Maya Cup and Donald Cup took second. Men's doubles, Eric Davis, Brett Guy second, Jimmy McGuffin and Greg Geary. And then in women's doubles, we had Allison Peters and Annette Tedder in first with Lori Jewell and Connie Altice in second. It was awesome. I would say the uh, girls throw two husbands, Nick and Bobby. I mean, they came close. Yeah, they came close. <laughs> right there. 
Oh, man. Awesome. But considering their first matchup was against Eric Davis and Brett Guy, um, their chances weren't great. Let's just be honest. They did score two. They, they did two. score two. They got points. <laughs> but no, what do you what do you think about the whole weekend? Yeah, it was. Uh, so uh, I'll go first because. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll take some. Let me because Anthony's going to talk the whole time about this because he's been he's been yeah. uh, he's the big one. I, I thought it was just cool to see a little bit of international flavor. This kind of had a team event feel as well, though. Um, it was cool to see certain players. How about Annette Tetter? I mean, just and in this just field of absolutely stacked talent, she just comes in and and, and whips up on some of them. So um, I think it was cool to see Matt Guy continue to dominate. He's just unbelievable right now. Jamie Graham is looking pretty good at the moment. Um, you know, results. Um, and and I do think it was funny that for the most part, Contra and like the team won, but like none of the players, it almost felt like none of the players from the contraband team in the individual events did incredibly well. There's some exception there. There's some, there's some like um, ones that don't necessarily line up, but just goes to show you that some people are naturally going to play, play better as a team and in comparison to how they finish as individuals or how they finish as an individual doubles team. So overall I thought it was good. And now I'll let Anthony um, take us all the way through it. Cause it was a big weekend for him. Yeah, it was it was a lot of events. It was stacked. So just to kind of describe what was going on, you have USA Cornhole putting on a U.S. Open. So the way I understand it is in a future state, there will be opens all over the globe. You could have a European Open, you could have a Canadian Open, and basically that country would host the Open. And then it's an open invitation to all international play. So being so new and going through you know COVID restrictions we didn't have the level of international play that we would typically like to see so it was real heavy in the u.s we had a couple gentlemen come out from canada um but there were basically the main event was the team event so um the, what, what trey was just describing there and you would come in with eight person teams uh to play five events so you would play a men's singles and doubles a women's singles and doubles and then a co-ed so you have eight players that make up those five. And then within there, you basically go best out of five. So whoever wins three out of those five matches takes the team event. Um, so that was super cool. I mean, it, it really, I mean, again, we're kind of getting this team kind of formats showing up. I think it, it could change the way we look and play Cornhole. Maybe it's a fun addition to all the other formats, but we had some stacked teams show up. I, I just want to go through those because it was impressive, the talent that came in team-wise. Uh, so we had a team fire. Everybody on this roster has been on a broadcast. Matt Guy, Brett Guy, Eric Davis, Megan Moppin going back to like 2019, Samantha Finley, Rosie Streaker, Kaylee Hunter, Jamie Graham. Insane eight-man roster. But then when you go through the rest of the teams, Team Contraband, who ended up winning it, and good point, Trey. I mean, if you look at the roster, you would think, hey, these guys are going to be – you know, Team Fire, like for example, is gonna is gonna overstrength these guys. You had a Noah Wooten, a Cameron Belvin, Tanner Halbert, Bobby Hunt. I was excited to see him play for the first time. Really impressed with his game. Isabella Soprenit, Connie Altice coming in on contraband, Lori Duell, and Trey Birchfield. Um, and then we had two other stack teams. It just gets it just gets better. Uh, we had Team All Cornhole, Frank Modlin. You mentioned Annette Tedder. Um, she kind of goes back to some old school. I got to talk to her and her husband a little bit, and they actually, yep. she stopped cornhole for a while. 
they had some personal things going on that they had to figure out. She's back, just dominated basically everywhere across the board, winning the women's, like we were saying earlier. So I was really impressed with what she brought to the table. Caleb Hurt, um, another big name. Maybe not everybody knows about him, but we're, this is an elite level bagger. We'll eventually see him uh, competing in the pro division, I'm sure of it. Berkeley Pear, Austin Schlobaum, Maddie McBride. Just two, like a second on Maddie McBride and Caitlin Ham. If you don't know these two young ladies, we're talking about young teen female baggers that are elite level. I mean, they they beat um, national pros. I think in a doubles match, they beat uh, some national pros in, in women's doubles. Um, young teens who uh, got a chance to get on the broadcast later for the USA event. Um, just really excited to see what in, in, in the female genre as well at a young level competing with all these grown men and boys was, was pretty awesome to see. Um, and then Big Shots Cornhole came out. So the whole Michigan squad led by Maya and Donald Cup, and then really impressed with Taco Ochoa. Uh, he kind of carried the, the, in these team events, the hard one is going into singles, right? You're kind of out there on your own. You're competing right. for your team in a singles event. Taco held his own. I mean, he got some wins against Trey Birchfield. He was right in the mix with Matt Guy. Um, and the way I understand it, Taco Ochoa, Steve Ochoa is the son. Steve is supposed to be the strength amongst the dad-son combination, but Taco is showing, hey, yep. I got some game too. Really impressed with him. Uh, Miranda Coy. Yeah, and I saw April Taco at one event. Yeah, Taco at one event had like a 10.43 PPR for the event. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he continues to impress. But anyways, that, that's, the, uh, that's the roster of all the big squads, and it was, it was really fun because all the matches are happening at the same time. So... The goal is to get to the to that three mark. I got it. We got to win three out of five. So you'll see players. They're not only playing their game, but they're they're looking to the left. <laughs> What's the score of my team? Name? And they're looking to the right. Are we winning in co-ed? You know, so everyone's kind of looking across the board. And then when it comes down to that last game, that could decide if you have a two-two tie. All the teams kind of come over and they gather around that last match, and it's like, oh, we need this one to win. So that was actually uh, that was actually a really cool cool setup. Did you guys get to see any of that team event at all? I, I did. I watched that a lot of it. And it did seem like when it came to the team events, that fire cornhole, they just kind of lost it there when it came to the end there. And when contraband took it, it just seemed like they weren't playing like they normally play aside from Matt guy, who was really frustrated that he, I mean, he did win, but it was too late that he, they already had had three wins on the contraband side. Um, he still played to the end and played as, you know, and won that game. Um, but yeah, really, really cool to watch. Um, I also found interesting that kind of changes the dynamic of singles because we always talk to pros about their favorite and they always say singles because nobody is depending on them. It's them on their own. They don't have to let anybody down. This changes it, right? You've got yeah. you're playing singles, but the whole team is depending on you. Right. So I, I find that to be really interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was super cool to watch. Super cool to watch. I love the, uh, I, I, I watched just a little bit of it. Um, but I, I, I love the dynamic. And, and it automatically forces people to root for people in a way, right? I think that's, a, that's something that we haven't necessarily seen before. Yes, if you got a friend who's playing singles, sure, you want to root for them. But at the same time, it's like you have a, now an outward rooting interest, right? There's a reason you're overly supportive for someone, which I think um, is really cool for our game. I do. Yeah, I think definitely. that that was missing. I think that was missing, so that, that makes me super excited about what's to come. All right, we're going to move into the National High School Championships. 
we had Thunder Ridge take first place and Tipton take second. In singles, Zach Dodson took it. And then in doubles, Zach Dodson took it and Michael Dodson. So, Anthony, I'm going to turn this one over to you um, because you may have spoke a little bit about that first place team in our last episode. Uh, so, so, so good on that. Talk about those boys. Yeah, my boys came through out of Colorado. We talked about them in the last episode representing Thunder Ridge High School, Jacob Tayer, Cooper Bingham, uh, Gavin Hammond, and Jackson Remick. Uh, they, they got it done. So uh, team, team Colorado, if you will, or Thunder Ridge came out. Um, they did pretty good in the uh, in the individual events. You had the singles and the doubles as well. But as a team, uh, they came through and, and got the championship. So really excited for those guys. Um, Jackson Remick, a standout within that squad. I think he can do... He could do some work within within the league, whether it's singles or even doubling up with Cooper, um, or excuse me, Gavin. Um, yeah, he's, he could be a standout bagger. And right now in Colorado, all four of those guys making a lot of noise. So really, really excited for those guys to bring the bring the trophy home to Colorado. I personally just loved watching. I, again, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. It just felt like the team event was different it just it just felt like this different energy I mean when they won they went bananas and like they're they had family there and what and even watching like that finals match uh, that the decided the now because it came down in the finals you had um the way the team set up work for the team championship was you had uh two singles matches and one doubles match well they split the singles matches so it had to go to a deciding game three and we were streaming that. I mean, even even the audience from the Tipton crowd, who was going crazy every time, you know, Caitlin Ham hit a hit a big shot. I mean, it was just so cool to feel that back and forth. And it felt like, you know, Michelle, you were even calling that. It, it, uh, to me, at least, it felt like you guys were being pulled in two different directions. It was this way. It was that way. Um, you know, and, and again, another shout out, I think, to Maddie McBride, who was arguably on that particular day the most impressive person that we saw. Agreed. Um, now she didn't win uh, a championship any of the three phases, but overall, I think you could make a strong argument that her and Zach Dodson were the two best players in that entire in that entire championship event. I mean, I, I don't know, Michelle. I want to hear your thoughts. You were the one that called a lot of those games. She dominated. I mean, her match looked different than the rest of the matches. That's how, it felt yeah. different. It looked different. I felt like it was you know, just another level. And maybe because she was on the broadcast the day before, she's like, I can't, this is like, you know, small potatoes considering I was just on national television. Uh, But no, she, she was elite. And can I tell you like the cutest moment of the whole weekend for me was when Thunder Ridge won and they had to sign the, you know, the trophy. (laughs) And one of them said, I don't have a signature. I don't know what to put. I don't have a signature. <laughs> and I turned I to practice this I, yet. <laughs> I turned to Bernie and I said, "Do you think they even teach cursive anymore?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was like my favorite moment of the whole weekend by far. I did. You know, it's funny you say that now because I looked at the board afterwards and there were three printed names. Like yes. they did not have a signature. Oh. It was just a printed name on the cornhole board, which was, <laughs> which was absolutely hilarious. No, it was. Um, it was so cool, uh, and 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 I think Maddie McBride is 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 a future ACL pro, no doubt. She has something that I would argue no other female has, and it's an unconscious, no hesitation airmail. Agreed. Right, Cheyenne Renner is going to bag you to death. She's got a good airmail, but she doesn't have a in your face 
put you out, knockout blow, no hesitation airmail like a Matt guy does. Now, she doesn't even pause, Maddie. She doesn't even pause. It's just right. – oh, Exactly. And so Maddie has plenty of things to develop, right? And and that's that's – you know, it's just one of the things where when you see a prospect on the baseball field, when they have when they do something, you're like, ooh, right? He's got to he's got to learn to hit the outside curve a little better. He's got to learn how to do this. He's got to learn how to do that. But that is special, and that's what I saw from Eddie McBride this weekend. Agreed. Absolutely. Any follow up thoughts, Anthony? No, I think that was a good closing on Maddie McBride. I mean, she's the standout from the high school uh, format, uh, and. If we were going to do hot takes now and I had to come up with a second one, I would say that Maddie McBride is definitely an ACL pro in the future, but uh, very impressed with her. Awesome. All right, let's move into the Asheville Open preview coming up on January 7th through 9th in North Carolina, Asheville. What do you think, Trey? What are we looking for in this big event coming up here? Yeah, so it's like it's so crazy. Like the events are starting to come so close together now. It was like, Oh yeah, we have to talk about the Asheville Open in this same episode because it's happening this coming weekend. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think <clears throat> I briefly looked through the list, and, and I think Anthony and I will hit on some hit on some specific names in here in a minute. But the big difference for me, there's definitely some exceptions to this rule. But all of a sudden, these first four opens, we saw. Oh, you want to play together? Sure. Oh, you want to play together? Sure. It was like this one was. Protein, 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 mm -hmm. protein. Okay. I would say 80% of the pros in this lineup that I'm looking at are playing with their pro partner. And that tells me, all right, we had some fun. We, you know, we, we had some fun <laughs> in the first four opens. It was 2021. It's 2022 now. The first national, a month away. We need to start playing together. We need to start to, if there's not chemistry already there, establish the chemistry. If the chemistry always is already there, we need to refine how we're approaching games. We, we approach our mindset. Um, I just think ultimately when we head to Asheville this weekend, January 7th through the 9th, you're just going to see it's going to be taken a little bit more seriously, I think. It's going to be, okay, this is really prep time. This turns into you know a, a chance to really get ourselves right and get our heads right before we get into the first national. Yeah. Yep. What about you, Anthony? Yeah. So this, uh, the registration's hot off the press. We're all kind of seeing it for the first time here. And yeah, I'm looking at this tray and I'm seeing the same thing. Definitely some standing out. Good to see some players coming out of the West. Um, I know that's a long trip, uh, for some of these guys. Um, uh, Tyler Parent, Brevin Valdivia, always a force coming out of the West. I see Matt guy, Brett guy on the list. I mean, just looking down, definitely, uh, you know, a favorite going into this or at least top three. Brandon Jones, Duncan Clemmer, always, always going to be in it. Some some names we don't normally mention, Tegan Owens and Deborah Odom. Good to see two two ladies teaming up there in, in the division. Um, both really good baggers. I think as we move more through the season, we're going to start talking more about those ladies. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely coming. Mason Morgante and Brennan Ballard out of, uh, out of Cali. I really like this partnership. My favorite right now, looking at the list coming out of the West, um, but yeah, Trey, just going through this, a lot of, a lot of pros. Here's a fun one: Samantha Finley and AJ Sims. I was I just gonna that one yet. Yeah, <laughs> that one. You know, I was gonna say there's always exceptions to my rule, but there were there were four that stuck out to me as people that didn't fit the bill of pro teams. You had Sam Finley and AJ Sims. 
what random <laughs> what, is, what is that um you had justin rule and cheyenne yes. renner so justin rule and cheyenne renner is interesting because we're i think we're going to learn a good bit about justin rule in that matchup right because you know cheyenne renner's coming off of one of the hardest if not the hardest open ever and she won it with james baldwin so can justin rule live up to that level of stakes um being a rookie pro then the other two were with the the gore boys because the gore boys are always fun to watch they've split and what i've seen is when they play together they have you know they can be a top 10 team they're right on that fringe um but when they split up sometimes they've actually won opens they've had higher upside so i believe uh jacob is throwing with uh trey birchfield and jackson oh, okay. is throwing with blaine rozier so those are both interesting combinations to me. Trey Birchfield and Jacob Gore specifically are a are a interesting matchup. So um, I like that. Now going back to some pro teams that um, I really like. One that stood out to me, um, first opportunity, really going to see it. Corey Gilbert and Josh Thielen, right? Yes. We, we talked about Corey Gilbert a lot, um, and, and and it was kind of like. Corey Gilbert, really high pro, undefeated finish, and then he's playing with Josh Thielen. Uh, Josh Thielen. It's like, okay, well, I don't really have much to say about Josh Thielen. So, like, I know he's a good player, but, like, it, we've not seen him on this particular stage. And so giving giving us a chance to see them as a pro team, not just individual players, but playing together as a pro team, I think is, is really important for us to understand if they're going to be – as good, if not better, than Brevin Valdivia and Tyler Parent out of the West, right? Because that's kind of the that's kind of always been our benchmark. It's like them and Doug Zapton, and Bill Hadley. Are you better or are you worse than those those two benchmark teams? Because they've just been they've just been so solid uh, across the year in doubles. Um, one other one that I'm interested to see as a pro team um, is is uh, Joe Niestet and Nico Morales yeah. because. Again, I feel like we've been hyping up Joe Niestet so much. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I saw if they had already played an open together as a doubles team. Um, but regardless, this is going to be one where they have to travel, right? I think they played the first one maybe in Chicago. But, like, they're going to have to travel for this one. It's going to simulate a national. It's going to be an opportunity to see if if the hype is worth it for Joe Niestet. And um, – you know, Joe Niestet for a while was slated to kind of throw with Jordan Power this season. And then kind of towards the end, Jordan Power made the decision when Jay Rubin was looking for a partner. That's how they ended up linking up. So Joe Niestet kind of had to find somebody else, if you will. And so I think that gives maybe a little bit of a motivation to Nico. It's like, I was the second choice. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of the fallback person. And so... If, if that doesn't motivate you to want to succeed and want to win an entire event with your partner who's exceptionally good, then uh, I don't I don't know what will. And then my last one is I don't know why we've already seen them, but I'm a little worried with what I've seen from them so far. I expected them to be more dominant, and that's Josh Holland and Derek Holland. Yeah. Um, I expected them to be unbelievable. Now the weird part is Derek has been better than I thought he would be. The problem is I have yet to see the Josh Holland that I saw in early 2021. Um, and so for me, that's going to be a key to see if 
if those two um, can can get together and kind of uh, figure it out and, and, and put on a big string. And can Josh Holland get to another finals where he was dominant in, in San Diego last year? Yeah, what, one closing on that, Mish. Uh, I do owe Corey Gilbert a follow-up uh, from the last time. This was an 8 no bagger out of the qualifier, and I said, I have not seen a Corey Gilbert match. I've done my homework. I've been watching Corey Gilbert. Um, he's got game. I mean, he is a down-the-middle, slick-side style bag, nothing fancy, good airmail, but he fills the hole up. So I'm a Corey Gilbert fan now. I've done my homework. I'm excited to see what he can do now this season. Yeah, thanks, by the way, for that awkward interaction that I had with Corey the next time I saw him <laughs> after Trey forced me to have a very awkward conversation <laughs> on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. All yeah, for you. That was fun. Although Thielen did message me and let me know that uh, I fired up his partner for that next event yes, um, based yeah. on that conversation. So, you know, there's that, too. Love it. But yes, very, very big uh, Corey Gilbert fan. All right. Moving into our last segment. Holy hot takes. Let's hear it, Trey. What is yours? All right. Kobe Costanza is going to be gone this year. I think he's he ends up becoming a pro. So when we talk about national college, I think he's gone. Um, so I think Ben Brown may be the early favorite. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Logan Chamberlain of Texas A&M is your 2022 national college singles champion. I like right. it. All right, Anthony, what you got? I'm going to come out with one from the U.S. Teams event. We hadn't mentioned his name yet uh, on the show, but I was really impressed this weekend with Berkeley Pear. I know we've all expected a lot out of him, but this was for me, this was a good way to see him set up against a lot of elite pros. He's just so impressive with what he can do with bags. He throws a natural tilt, but he can roll like game changers and all slides. I mean, he can pretty much do whatever he wants. I think Berkeley Pear is going to be a top 20 pro in singles this year and maybe edge that top 15. All right. And mine is I'm going to give my boys some love and say Corey Gilbert and Josh Thielen finishing top five at the Open. I got to I got to show my support. Ooh, so there you go. That's hot, baby. That's hot, hot take. Hot off the presses. <laughs> you heard it here. You're welcome. All right. That's all we got, all we got today coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We will see you all next time.